I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Waiting for you in this hour, it's a documentary film director who almost died in a car wreck because he wouldn't let go of a French girl's hand to grab the wheel. It's a musician whose song was used while Castle and Beckett decidedly didn't profess their love for one another on Castle. And it's the NPR White House correspondent who tweeted on the campaign trail, Unexpected perk of covering the Romney campaign, bootleg live Kid Rock recordings. (laughs) It's, it's. watch the show and write a poem about everything that he has learned during the hour. And of course, we have music from our house band, led by Mr. Ralph Huntley. Thank you, Ralph. So we're very excited to have uh, NPR White House correspondent Ari Shapiro and documentarian Arthur Bradford with us. They are two men who have spent a lot of time in the past 12 months on buses with news crews traveling to political conventions. We totally did that on purpose. Uh, and it is, it is not unnoteworthy that this, this week we are recording our 200th episode of Livewire. It's a lot of vodka. Uh, for which we are extremely grateful to our audience and our staff for sticking out this long and to the new listeners who are inviting us into their homes and their earbuds every week. And I've noticed this trend lately, and I don't know if if you have, but a lot of my friends are posting um, daily gratitude journals. And um, I thought, along those lines, I would commemorate this episode with a list of 200 things I'm grateful for. It's kind of long, but I'm just going to jump right in. The Portland rain, indoor plumbing, Sleep, Amy Poehler, the internet, the fact that cats periodically lose their balance and that people have cameras when that happens, my mother's mashed potatoes and turkey gravy, my mother, my mother's laugh, my brother's sense of humor, carnival rides that allow you to scream without any social repercussions, items 12 through 72, the Osmond family. Rolling foldable treadmills that can be stored for long periods of time so you don't have to look at them. (laughs) Friends who drink. Friends who drink more than me. (laughs) Cheese. The hide feature on Facebook. (laughs) Items 78 through 110. Hoarders, intervention, intervening hoarders, and any reality show that makes me appear to be a well-adjusted good housekeeper. Real live books you can hold in your hands. 
The way spring reminds us that we're alive and fall reminds us that we eventually won't be. <laughs> Black and white pictures of 1940s movie stars. The fact that we've all agreed to universally ignore the unsound architectural properties of wet sand on a beach and choose to build with it anyway. Google, heavy petting, cats who pretend to like you, dogs who genuinely do. Items 119 through 123, the four truly great romantic comedies I have seen out of the 675 I've watched. Annie Hall, The Philadelphia Story, When Harry Met Sally, and Alien vs. Predator. <laughs> Number 24 is Hostess Products. Number 125 is the fact that they will no longer be making Hostess Products. <laughs> there are many things I'm grateful as a sketch writer, but briefly, three human foibles, back hair, and Joe Biden. <laughs> the internal combustion engine the upcoming alternatives to the internal combustion engine, spoiler alerts, modern medicine's contribution to network television, and our understanding of what is and is not lupus. <laughs> Items 133 through 166, every hotel room I've ever stayed in. I even weirdly like the terrible ones. I just, I feel like I expect that their cable is different from everyone else's cable, but it's not. It's just cable. <laughs> but I still get excited. Being pulled very fast by a speedboat, but only on a lake because, you know, sharks. <laughs> Music, I feel like cheese bears repeating. <laughs> the life and relationship-changing invention of the zero-effort toilet roll holder. That breathing deeply sometimes magically helps you feel better. The miracle that is the human body. The miracle that is Bill Murray. <laughs> cheese is also sort of a miracle. Miracles are, in general, are pretty great. And speaking of miracles, items 176 through 200, the amazing, hardworking, do it mostly for the love of it, but also for some money, cast and crew of Livewire, who make me proud every day that I get to come to work and be inspired by their twisted, vulgar, yet strangely alluring brains and hearts. Thanks to you and thanks to our listeners who give us a pretty great reason to do what we do. Songwriter Sarah Jackson Holman was a 20-year-old piano and writing student at Whitworth University when the president of Expunged Records signed her to his label after, after listening to just one song online. In 2010, she released her first record, When You Dream, to strong reviews and song placement on shows on ABC, The CW, and MTV, which no longer plays music videos, but you can sometimes hear music in the background while people talk or scream or throw up on camera. Holman's strong, assured vocals have been compared to Adele and Feist, but her classical training, combined with her love of folk music and her recent dive into electronica, make for a very original sound on her most recent record, Cardiology. Please welcome Sarah Jackson Holman to Livewire. Thank you. Your name 
say that you still think of me But it's not the same as it used to be I lie and say I'm happy by myself Being like a drug Close my eyes and let it record is cardiology. As we mentioned earlier in the show, tonight is our 200th episode, and during the course of those 200 episodes, we have written over 1,500 sketches, most of which will never see the light of day. (laughs) But hey, there's some good stuff in there. So with that in mind, Livewire presents some lines from unused sketches that we just can't let go of until we say them out loud. Trisha Ferguson. Anytime you attempt to read Finnegan's Wake, drink a whole bottle of whiskey, and then don't read Finnegan's Wake. (laughs) Now, Alvin and the chipmunks are enrolled in high school. They are thrown into the face of the obscene, explicit malice of this modern jungle. The new Mosque of America will feature a red lobster, glamorous top floor casino, and a nightly 50 dancer kick line, the Rocking Burkettes. Hi. Hi there. My name is Jane. Are you a young woman? Are you in need of moving help? Well, look no further than Buffalo Bill's moving company. I will tell you the five-hour tale of Sankai Juku through Buto. I'm standing by my man, or at least as close as I can get through the bulletproof glass. There I was, minding my own business, drinking a mason jar of Goldschlager and playing a game of Croatian roulette with some very interesting mink smugglers. You smiled at me, and it made me think that I'd love to cook you dinner a couple of times, then fall back into my pattern of eating frosted Cheerios in my yoga pants while you try to figure out why I stopped caring when, really, I just turned into my real self. This has been a minute with the guy whose driveway you turned around in. You're listening to Livewire, and if you just tuned in, that is unfortunate because you just missed Sarah Jackson Holman performing the best of bread using only a zither and a lot of pluck. But there's still more to come. Stick around for documentarian Arthur Bradford, NPR White House correspondent Ari Shapiro, Pink Martini's Thomas Lauderdale, and poet Scott Poole. We'll be right back. 
Jaguar. Next up on the show is a writer, a filmmaker, and the co-director of Camp Jabberwocky. It's America's longest-running summer camp for people with developmental disabilities. It was working at Camp Jabberwocky that Arthur Bradford started a video class where he had his students take their cameras out into the world to tell their own stories. And this idea spawned the How's Your News documentaries and television series, which aired on MTV, HBO, PBS, and Channel 4 England. Last year, Bradford directed the Emmy-nominated documentary Six Days to Air about the making of South Park for Comedy Central. His most recent film is another How's Your News documentary in which the crew goes after their stories from a whole new set of candidates in election 2012. Please welcome Arthur Bradford to Livewire. I don't blame Michelle Bachman for thinking we were stalking her at the Republican convention this summer. We weren't, but I can see how she might have gotten that impression. I was at the convention with How's Your News, a team of reporters with various mental disabilities. It's a documentary project which began at a summer camp over 15 years ago. We traveled to interesting places such as the political conventions and the reporters, outgoing adults with disabilities like Down syndrome, Williams syndrome, and autism, pepper whoever will speak to them with a wide range of very eclectic questions. The results are often funny, and they are meant to be, but we always emphasize that it really is funny in a nice way and not at anyone's expense. So this summer, we were roaming the halls of the Republican convention, looking for politicians, and we kept ending up in the same place as Congresswoman Bachman. <laughs> the first time we saw her, one of our reporters, Bobby Bird, an older man with Down syndrome, approached her to say hi, and she grabbed his cheeks, leaned down, and said, you are so awesome. We asked if Bobby might interview her, and she jumped back, and one of her press aides stepped in and said, no thanks. This was disappointing, but somewhat understandable. Ms. Bachman has been the target of some pretty pointed attacks, and one of her most famous gaffes involved her claim that the HPV vaccine caused a Midwestern girl to, quote, suffer from retardation. Perhaps she thought we had some scheme to make her look bad, but really, we didn't. What I like about taking this group of reporters into the political world is that they throw politicians off of their well-prepared script. You can get a pretty good read on a person's character by the way he or she interacts with a person with a noticeable disability. I honestly think that our reporters offer more insight with 30 seconds of left-field questions about swimming ability, deli menus, or favorite soap opera actors than Diane Sawyer or Wolf Blitzer might gain in a half-hour sit-down interview. So as I said, for some reason we kept bumping into Michelle Bachman. She was very visible at that convention, and each time we saw her, she'd say she had no time for an interview, but then she'd walk away and start talking to some other reporter or blogger or anyone with a camera. Jeremy, one of our reporters with Williams Syndrome, said he felt like she was blowing us off. I really want to talk to her, he told me. I think he found her quite attractive. <laughs> we followed Ms. Bachman down an escalator and out of the building. Congresswoman Bachman, I said, this is Jeremy Vest. He just wants to ask you a couple questions. We were right next to her, but she kept walking faster and faster, pretending we weren't there. Finally, Jeremy, who is normally quite reserved and shy, yelled out to her, what is your problem? <laughs> the Congresswoman stopped, walked back towards us, and at last said hello. I expected at this point that Jeremy would get his interview, but he did not. Ms. Bachman explained that she was behind schedule, and her aide stood between them and said they had to go. I'm sure that Ms. Bachman was indeed on a tight schedule, but we spent three days at that convention, and we spoke to dozens of politicians, senators, former secretaries of state, even Mitt Romney himself, and they all had tight schedules. But each one of them found at least 30 seconds to have a decent conversation with our reporters. Ms. Bachman thought that patting Bobby's cheeks and calling him awesome was enough, but honestly, we would have preferred that she just skip that part and just talk to us. Afterwards, I asked Jeremy what he wanted to ask her, and he said, 
Oh, something about deli meats or maybe what her favorite band was. It's really too bad we didn't get to see that. Thanks, Arthur. piece, you know, that, that you can learn a lot from a person from the way they interact with a person with a disability. Can you talk about a specific example of that that you've seen during the course of these um, documentaries? Yeah, I mean, I think you always see that. What I, what I think you'll see in this current film that we have is, is my, the, the most interesting part of the interview is often the setup when, when we're just going up and approaching people. And John Sununu comes to mind for me. He's a, he was the former governor of New Hampshire, whose politics I don't particularly like. He was actually a really, really nice guy. Um, in the same situation where, uh, where his, his sort of aides were sh trying to shoo him away and end the interview, he said, no, I want to talk to this man. I want to have a conversation. So whatever you think of his politics, I, I, I genuinely felt like there, he was a man who had, had a soul, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> shocking. Absolutely yeah. shocking. Yeah. Um, you actually, you brought a clip from this latest film with you. Do you, do you want to set it up? Yeah, I, I think I need to prep this because so much about How's Your News is visual. It's, it's a, there's so much of what's interesting is watching the way that people, the looks on people's faces. So I tried to pick some just very basic clips that can give you some idea. In this latest film, there's three reporters that we have. And so um, I think what you're going to hear first is um, Susan Harrington. And the funny thing about her is that she's like adamantly, uh, and she calls herself an Obama mama, and she just, she wouldn't hold back on that. So even at the Republican convention, we went to both conventions, but she just was telling everyone about how she was an Obama mama. So that always made for an interesting interview. Um, and, then, uh, and then there's another man, Bobby Bird, who I mentioned in that thing I read, and he, he has Down syndrome, but an interesting aspect of his disability is that when he speaks, there's no way you could understand what he's saying. It, it just comes out as this, this kind of like really interesting set of sounds. And he does believe that he's saying something and he really has a point and he understands everything that's said to him. But the conversations that he has are really fascinating because you notice that politicians, no matter what's said to them, even if they can't understand it, just stick to their scripts. <laughs> so... so um, so you'll hear, you'll hear him in here, and then you'll hear Jeremy, who is just a very friendly, outgoing guy with what's called Williams Syndrome, which is sometimes called Cocktail Syndrome, because, uh, Cocktail Party Syndrome, uh, because he just, he, he talks like he's at a cocktail party all the time, if that makes sense. Um, but you'll, you'll hear, if you can try to guess, you'll hear uh, the actor John Voight, um, Herman Cain, uh, George Stephanopoulos, and Ann Coulter. Uh, see if you can guess who's who in this. And I think we hear Bobby first on this one, don't we? Um, I'm not sure if it's Bobby or Sue first. Okay. We'll, we, you'll, you'll know if it's Bobby because you won't understand what he's saying. Hey, boy, I'm a shot me. Well, I think so far it's been a, it, it's been a great, been a great convention so far. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's been it's been a terrific convention so far. I thought oh, Romney yeah, was fantastic. Are you a uh, supporter of Romney? Absolutely. Well, I have to say that I am not. I've been a strong Obama supporter and Obama mama, and darn well, them. We're all allowed to make it. mistakes in life. Thanks. Well, he didn't even let me finish. Jeez. Hi, and I'm Jeremy. Nice to meet you. Hello. How was seeing? How was it seeing Paul Ryan? Uh, Paul Ryan come out last night. Was it a big roaring round of applause and all that? Oh yes, we were bouncing off the walls. It was fabulous. So, uh, who is your favorite music group? Do you have any favorite music groups these days? Mine's Kiss. <laughs> yeah, that last one was Ann Coulter, and she yeah. didn't answer. That was frustrating. Um, yeah, she just yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> If you're just tuning in, uh, you're listening to Livewire, and we're talking to Arthur Bradford. So, I mean, I think that you, that you get an idea that there, there was a great moment um, in the film where uh, Jeremy was trying to do an intro, and Bobby came up to him and just planted this huge kiss on him, and he couldn't finish. And there was a, another reporter who just looked at them, and, and the camera was on him, and he said, who are you guys with? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it was just an, an interesting thing to watch. What kind of responses were you getting from other journalists? 
Yeah, I mean, the funny thing about political conventions is that the ratio of journalists to, like, people at the convention is, like, two to one. There's more journalists than, than conventioneers there. So um, it was interesting to see. I mean, I was always worried that we were going to get kicked out of the convention. That's always my worry with How's Your News is that, is that some security is just going to come up and, and kick us out because we're, we're always, like, tripping over cables and... and <laughs> Bobby's like trying to start a wrestling match with Jeremy on the floor, and so um, it's it's funny. But um, but you, in general, like we found that that other journalists were pretty friendly with us. We had some great interactions with um, Peter Jennings when we went to the conventions in 2004. Diane Sawyer was very friendly with us. Um, what do you think that those journalists can learn from your team? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I I think that that. What's fun about our team is that they throw these really left field questions out there. And, and uh, we had this one reporter who's since passed away, but Ronnie used to try to get everyone he interviewed with to, do, to, to act out some sort of role play skit with him. And, <laughs> and I just, I always thought that was a great idea. Like, imagine if Wolf Blitzer was like, okay, I'm going to pretend I'm Tom Cruise in Top Gun and you're Maverick. Let's go. <laughs> you know, like, that would be really fun to see how, that, how the politicians would act. Well, and you see it all the way through the film, and I think that, you know, as a, as a viewer, you're, you're immediately seeing the response and sort of making an estimation of the kind of person. I think, you know, Condoleezza Rice didn't come off very well in the film because she was mm-hmm. a little dismissive. Yeah, I, I, I always say the only way to come off badly with our, with our team is to not talk to them, and that, and that so that was the case with... Ms. Bachman, Condoleezza Rice, Al Sharpton, wasn't that nice? It really doesn't have much to do with liberal or conservative. It's just what, who they are. Yeah, yeah. This is an important thing to these guys on the team. I know that, you know, Jeremy so clearly enjoys what he's doing. How has it changed these people to be able to, like Jeremy and, and Sue and Bobby, to be able to, to do this? I think it's given them some more confidence. I mean, they really like to talk to people in general, so um, it's amazing how confident they are, just like, oh, I, yeah, I belong at this convention just like everybody else. And Whereas you or I might be really nervous talking to Mitt Romney, Bobby just, like, stuck the mic out there, and, and he would have talked to Mitt all day, you know? <laughs> um. Well, this is a great addition, um, and people can, if you're interested in seeing the film, you can actually go online to howsyournews.com, and you're just offering it for $5. Right, yeah, we just, it's just out there um, on the How's Your News website for $5, and um, we're starting to do a thing now where uh, that $5 is going to go to uh, dis- different disability advocacy groups, so um, please do go there and check it out. Great. Thank you so much. Arthur Bradford is the director. And the film is Election 2012. You can find out more information about Arthur's film at howsyournews.com. And you're listening to Livewire Radio, brought to you in part by Ergo Depot, offering a comprehensive line of ergonomic work furniture. Their sit-stand desks help keep your blood flowing and your core involved while you power through all of those YouTube videos of cats on their hind legs. Information from the healthy sitting experts can be found at ergodepot.com. Tonight, we have NPR White House correspondent Ari Shapiro on the show. And just in case... Ari may have forgotten what that last night on the campaign was like. We're about to reenact the scene for him just to kind of refresh his memory. Welcome back to Election Night Coverage 2012. I'm Rick Studi. Polls closing throughout the Midwest now. We are projecting Oklahoma, Nebraska, Texas, and Indiana are firm wins for Mitt Romney. For a reaction to that news, Brooke Lipton is live at Governor Romney's victory rally in Boston, Massachusetts. Brooke. Thanks, Rick. It looks like Romney has picked up over 40 electoral votes in just the last couple minutes. I'm here with Matt Rhodes, Romney's campaign manager. Matt, how are you feeling right now? Oh, we're feeling great, Brooke. You know, it's a testament to the message that Governor Romney has been putting out there this entire campaign. The American people want change. What are your predictions for these swing states? Well, we are really, really confident. You know, we can see the finish line. And I mean, just just look at this convention hall, Brooke. You can feel the electricity. These people are going bananas. Uh, Brooke, I'm sorry, Brooke, I need to jump in here. It looks like we are set to make a projection for Ohio. Great. Matt, I've just been informed that Ohio has been called. Okay, here we go. Ohio is going to the president. 
So, Matt, Obama has taken the Buckeye State. Uh, I'm sorry, what's that now? That means Obama will win re-election. Uh, okay, we'll have to confirm. I know, look, Florida has, is still out, and um, we haven't heard on that. Well, so. unfortunately, Florida is irrelevant at this point. The, the mood at the rally has certainly changed, as the big screens are now showing that Obama will hold on to the presidency. Matt Rhodes, your thoughts? I, uh... Well, you know, this is a sad night for the American people because, uh, you know, I think Governor Romney, uh, wow, I'm sorry, uh, hey, can we get somebody to turn off that music? Thank, okay, you know, look, the Romney-Ryan ticket was, you know, had a truly inspiring vision for this country and it's disappointing that, to say the least that the state of Ohio couldn't see that. Um, you know what, Kyle? That's worse. Okay, please just just kill that. Can you just kill it? <sighs> Thank you. Where does the governor go from here? Well, you know, well, we have to look and see the exit polls and reevaluate for 2016. Damn it, Kyle! Just go to Sad Mix Four, okay? Just just click it. Just click it. How hard can that be? I'm sorry, Brooke. So, you think he'll run in 2016? He must be pretty shell-shocked. You know, well, you know, this campaign has fought diligently and... Come on! I'm sorry, I gotta, I gotta take care of this, Brooke. Kyle, I said to put on the Morrissey CD if we lost, okay? What the hell is the matter with you? Brooke Lipton reporting from a very somber Romney headquarters. All right, now you're just playing the Footloose soundtrack. That's what you're doing. That was Andrew Harris, Trisha Ferguson, and Sean McGrath. In 2005, our next guest became the first NPR reporter to be promoted to correspondent before the age of 30. That was when Ari Shapiro became NPR's Justice Department correspondent, covering light human interest stories like the prisoners lost after Hurricane Katrina, Supreme Court rulings on Guantanamo Bay, detainees, and Abu Ghraib. In 2010, Shapiro became NPR's White House correspondent, but last July, he stopped covering the White House to start covering the road to the White House, leaving Washington, D.C. to get on a bus with Mitt Romney and his campaign team, along with the rest of Romney Press Corps, and ride across the country for 11 months, all the way to the end. Ari's in town to record a couple songs on the most recent Pink Martini album with band leader and songwriter Thomas Lauderdale. And they'll be treating us to a song later. So please welcome Ari Shapiro and Thomas Lauderdale to Livewire. <laughs> Thomas is sitting down at the piano. Hi, Thomas. So you'll just chime in, right, whenever... Okay. Whenever we need some, some music to lighten things up? <laughs> Doesn't this make an interview better? It absolutely does. Like being in a cocktail lounge? I feel like I'm in a spa. Thank you, Thomas. Well, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you here. We're, we're big fans. And, and your work covering the Romney campaign was fantastic. Thank you. It yeah. is so nice to be done with it. <laughs> well... <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I loved every minute of it. Every uh, single minute. Yes, even especially the minutes between when we went to sleep at two in the morning and when we woke up at five in the morning. Those are those are the really good minutes in there. Well, what? First of all, how many reporters are in the press corps for a campaign like that? So they're embeds, is what they call them, from like every network and every major newspaper: New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times, The Wires, so Associated Press and Reuters. At any given time, it was sort of between twenty and well, towards the end, it was many, many more. But twenty and fifty, mm -hmm. you know, we would fill the Romney plane, and then at the end. And we filled another plane besides. Um, it was a little like a pink martini tour with worse music. <laughs> yeah, there uh, evidently a lot of Kid Rock. Uh, Born Free is going to haunt my dreams for decades to come. Do, no, the other Not Born the Free. Other. The other Born Free, the one um, free like a river raging, free like the dreams I'm chasing. We we um, 
we used to say that the press corps should play a drinking game where each person had to say the next word in the lyrics, and if you missed a word, you had to take a drink. That's how well you knew the song. Yeah, that's how well we knew the song. <laughs> well, they had some trouble, actually, in the Republican campaign finding music that they were allowed to use. This is the problem, is that the most popular recording artists tend to be... Democrats. And so uh, there was one really memorable rally where Meatloaf endorsed Mitt Romney. And oh, I to saw be, it. We all saw it. Uh, appeared to be like very drunk and he was sweaty and he was screaming about the Cold War. Uh, it was in Defiance, Ohio. The lead singer of Alabama was also there who was a little more put together and seemed a little bit taken aback by, by Mr. Loaf. Um, <laughs> I kept trying to get Thomas to come and do a rally, but he, I guess, wasn't so interested in spending time in swing states. <laughs> Thomas, why wouldn't you come join us? We, we would have had such a good time out on the road together with mittens. I love, I love the whole concept, but I, I just I couldn't possibly. Just I couldn't too, possibly. too busy touring European capitals, huh? Yes, yes, yes. Those socialist countries. R- Romania. You know, you know they called the, the airplane Hair Force One, according to Twitter. I think Doesn't that sound festive? I would have to double-check this, but I actually think that name was Anne's idea, Anne Romney, Mitt's wife. Um, because there was, you know, when the plane first debuted, they were talking about what they should call it. And, right. Um, I think Hair Force One was Anne's idea, but it stuck. That's anyway. hilarious. <laughs> they had a sense of humor. Yeah. Like, it didn't always come across, but they actually could be very funny people. Well, there was, I mean, there are so many orchestrated moments on these campaigns, but there are also moments, like, there, there was a photo, and this could have been a photo op, but it was Anne, and she was, she was passing out Welsh cakes to the, this to was, the yeah, press corps. I, this was in my Instagram feed, actually. It was, yeah, it was a sweet yeah, moment. Yeah, I mean, what for you was sort of the most memorable unorchestrated moment on this campaign? Oh, um, well, it was actually not with Romney, but it was a day that I went to the Hotel Fitness Center and ran into Paul Ryan doing P90X. Wow! I mean... Did you talk to him? Other people did. I did not, but at one... At one point, somebody asked him if he did the uh, insanity workout or something. I guess it's part of the P90X workout routine uh, in hotel fitness centers. And he said, no, when, I, when it's those days, I do it in my hotel room. I wouldn't do it in a hotel fitness center. Otherwise, and parenthetical here, I tend to sweat when I work out, so I was looking a bit bedraggled and drenched. So he says, otherwise, I'd look like that guy. <laughs> So, hey, the vice presidential candidate for the, pre- uh, for the United States Republican Party acknowledged me. He did. Yeah. He did. Your mother is going to be so proud. She's in the audience. Oh. I don't know. Mom. Is- <laughs> well, I-, I wonder, I mean, just because of all of the divisive nature of politics and how every single word is jumped on, it feels like no one is saying anything off the cuff anymore. Does that make it more difficult for you as a journalist oh, no, to a get a story? There was a lot of off the cuff stuff. Uh, the trees are the right height. I like to fire people. My wife drives a couple of Cadillacs. Um, uh, 47%. There was a whole lot of off the cuff stuff in this campaign. <laughs> That he maybe hadn't wanted people to hear. Well, no, honestly, like, Mitt Romney had a real problem with gaffes. And so, as a result, it was sort of this self-perpetuating cycle where, because he had less exposure to the press, there were fewer natural, unscripted moments, and so he seemed even less human. And uh, as a result, people just felt like uh, he, the real Romney had not really come through in the way that, I don't know, maybe a differently run campaign could have come well, across. Well, you, you said that in your final piece on, on NPR about the campaign, and... When the cameras weren't around, he was actually this incredibly likable, sort of smooth guy. And yeah. then the cameras got turned on. And in fact, his handlers sometimes lied to him about when cameras no, were on. No, but one off. joked that they should. That they should tell him he was doing an off-the-record interview, but tell us it was an on-the-record interview. Because that would be the only way we could capture the genuine Mitt Romney. Because if he knew he was being filmed, he would just go back into robot mode. Why do you, why do you think that that happened to him? 
because his natural milieu was business, not politics. And yeah. there are naturally born politicians who are completely fluid and human and likable and genuine, no matter how big or small of an audience they're in front of, no matter who's in that audience. That's never been Mitt Romney. Everybody mm -hmm. who knows him personally says he's a likable, genuine, funny, charming person. But for some reason, when the camera's on him, he just feels compelled to sort of be who he thinks that audience wants him to be, and as a result, comes across as insincere and phony, I think. Yeah. So, so the candidates were going, going around sort of meeting America, but so were you. I mean, yeah. you actually were in all of these different states talking to people. What did you learn about the country on this well, trip I mean, yourself? Well, I mean, so at every rally, I would talk to a few voters for a few minutes and come away collectively through these thousands of interviews with a real sense of, you know, what's happening in the country. It's a very difficult time that you can lose sight of when you're in the Washington, D.C. bubble. Um, and I think a lot of us learn about America sort of through fiction, whether it's Faulkner and Steinbeck novels, the Real Housewives shows. <laughs> and getting the chance to sort of talk to people in Colorado and Florida and Ohio and New Hampshire and Iowa and, you know, during the primaries, Pennsylvania and Mississippi gave me a sense of America that, that maybe I didn't have before. If I may, there's kind of an amazing American story that was unfolding just this morning. This year is the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Medgar Evers, the civil rights icon. And his wife, Merle Evers, has become a, a sort of a civil rights hero in her own right. And Thomas recently discovered that she had this lifelong dream of performing at Carnegie Hall in a red dress... And so Thomas and the band Pink Martini decided to make this dream come true. And next month, Pink Martini is going to perform at Carnegie Hall with Merle Evers in the red dress as part of the commemoration of the 50th anniversary. And so, and so this morning, we were at Thomas's loft meeting with the daughter and granddaughters of Medgar Evers, who are part of this project I guess the hope is that this becomes sort of part of establishing a legacy of the Medgar Evers story and the history of the civil rights movement that will endure for generations. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Amazing. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Livewire Radio, and we're talking to Ari Shapiro and Thomas Lauderdale of Pink Martini. Now, uh, Ari is in town to record... Recording a, a song in Hindi. A couple songs on your record. Is that what you guys are going to perform no. for us tonight? No, we're going to do a different one. We recorded two songs this weekend. One was in Hindi, the other is in Spanish. And um, the Spanish song is the one that we're going to perform. There's a bit of a story to it, if I may. Sure. Uh, if you've heard the album Splendor in the Grass... Um, the iconic ranchera singer Chavela Vargas does a song on it. She's since passed away. Uh, and the song that she does on it is called Piensa en Mi. And when Thomas approached Chavela asking her to be on the album, he asked her to sing a different song. And she said to him, Thomas, I'm 90 years old. I'm not learning another song. Uh, so she told him she was going to sing Piensa en Mi on that album. And this album that we just, uh, this song we just recorded that we're about to do um, is the song that Thomas originally wanted her to do on the album. This is Thomas Lauderdale of Pink Martini and Ari Shapiro. So this, is, this song is, um, this song is uh, by the great Cuban composer Ernesto Lacuna. It's called Yo Te Quiero Siempre. And it, I feel like it's the most amazing song that has, has been only recorded, as far as I know, once by its composer, like in the, uh, in the 40s. It's, it's, the best song that I think nobody knows. And this will be on the next Pink Martini album, which is tentatively titled Get Happy. Mi corazón, 
a pesar de todo yo te quiero siempre y mi anhelo es verte junto a mí besarte otra vez yo te quiero siempre Livewire is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Markets, featuring 25 different varieties of apples this month. Apples are rich in antioxidants, but are normally high up in trees, and you can't get them without a ladder or a long stick. Whole Foods solves that problem by working with regional harvesters to provide you with fresh local produce, all at a reasonable distance from the ground. More information at WholeFoodsMarkets.com. And now, because you have questions and we have answers that may or may not be correct, we now present the part of the show in which you ask us those questions and we give you those qualified answers. Science, pop culture, advice, it, it doesn't matter. It's all going to be answered borderline accurately by our cast and guests in a segment we like to call Dear Livewire, Sean McGrath. David asks, what would Brando do? The answer, nothing. He would get a Native American woman to do it on his behalf. Thank you, Sean. Trisha Ferguson. Sarah asks, what should I do if I forget our safe word? Um, stop. Andrew Harris. Uh, Jennifer asks, why do chihuahuas shake? Or perhaps the, pearl, the plural is chihuahua. And that is a very good question, Jennifer. It is a little known fact that the chihuahua are descended from a large savage reptile beast known in ancient times as the chihuahua. Forked, cloven, hooved, and extremely deadly, the ancient Chihuahua burned in rage with the white-hot fury of a thousand planetary cores and were also related to the chupacabra, plural, chupacabre. After cutting a path of destruction and blight and destroying all existing life wherever they roamed, the Chihuahua evolved into a much smaller creatures out of necessity and lack of food, now known as the modern-day Chihuahua. However, while their bodies shrank, the fierce and savage souls of the Chihuahua would not be bent by evolution's tempering hand. 
That is why Chihuahuas shake. They shake with ancient wrath. Andrew Harris. Next up, Arthur Bradford. Uh, this question is from Mike, the Canuck. When dogs eat bees, is it possible to weaponize them and send them into the theater of war? And the answer is um, yes. But I can think of better ways to weaponize a dog than to carry around bees and try to make them eat them. Um, and also, why would you want to do that? <laughs> and last but not least, Ari Shapiro. Uh, Julie asks, if Hurricane Katrina and Superstorm Sandy got in a jello wrestling match, who would win? And the answer is Anderson Cooper. <laughs> Great job! Guests, audience on Dear Livewire. Dear Livewire is brought to you in part by New Belgium Brewing, whose new snow day winter ale is hoppy with subtle chocolate and caramel flavors. It's like that cup of hot cocoa after a long day of building snowmen, only it's not cocoa, it's a beer. And you're just eating the marshmallows out of the bag, because you're a grown-up and you can do whatever you want now. More information can be found at newbelgium.com. Thank you, Ralph. That was lovely. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Sarah Jackson Holman.
Thank you. All right, well, our house poet Scott Poole has been watching the show diligently, and now he is on stage to give us his take on the whole shebang. Please welcome poet Scott Poole. What I Learned Tonight by Scott Poole. Think of all the Twinkie hobbyists that for years were mocked and spat upon, that led lives as anonymous as the guy whose driveway you turned around in because of the hostess marketing juggernaut. A fluffy, spongy, yellow cloud of hope has suddenly lit up the rectangular horizon with rounded corners for every DIY indestructible tasty snack cake maker in the world. I too wanted to make Twinkies when I was in third grade. Oh, glorious dawn. I've had 10 55-gallon drums of cream filling sitting in a storage space in Troutdale, Oregon for 37 years. I've even fashioned a platinum turkey baster just for injecting import into this moment. Arthur Bradford should do a documentary with a team of mentally disabled adults about this because I think only they can get to the Twinkie hobbyist or twinkerer, as we like to call them, soul's cream filling by asking them what kind of shoes they would wear if they were an angry meatloaf, Mr. Loaf if you're nasty, <laughs> while they're at the National Twink Con. Oh, I can see this long dream day of twinkerers has finally arrived. Hallelujah. The time is here. Just imagine at TwinkCon, the National TwinkCon candidate strolls out in a full-length Twinkie costume with a suit over it and boldly says with great import to an empty chair, What a day. The ding-dongs are exactly the right height here in Ohio. <laughs> Thank you. show for tonight. Thank you so much for listening. Our thanks to our guests, Arthur Bradford, R.A. Shapiro, Thomas Lauderdale, and Sarah Jackson Holman. Our house band is Ralph Huntley, Jim Brunberg, and Dave Jorgensen. This show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Burgerville. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art, the Oregon Cultural Trust, and listeners like you find people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. The show is also produced by Courtney Hommeister and Jim Brunberg. Faces for Radio Theater are writers Sean McGrath and Courtney Hommeister, performers Andrew Harris, Trisha Ferguson, and Paul Glazier, and director Jason Rouse. Additional show writers are Jason Rouse, Scott Poole, and Ben Coleman. Our technical director is Jonathan Newsom with House Sound by Graham Nystrom. Stage management by Mark Bauck. Special thanks to Rose City Sound. Show theme is written by our house band and Courtney Von Drele. Photography by Jenny Baker. Livewire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit livewireradio.org or find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.